Is your business a talent-centric organization? Yeah, sure, everybody says people are their most important asset, but does that really make you a talent-centric organization? What's the story? When we come back, we're going to find out. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line. Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very special guest. She's Carol Schultz. Carol is a talent equity and leadership advisory expert who is also the founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation. Carol and her team have helped hundreds of companies, everything from seed stage IPOs to publicly traded companies, and she's helped them transform their organizations and create sustainable, talent-centric cultures that run at maximum efficiency. She's also the author of Powered by People, How Talent-Centric Organizations Master Recruitment, Retention, and Revenue. You know, this whole talent-centric organization thing is really intriguing, and I can't wait to learn more. So welcome to Business Confidential Now, Carol. Thanks, Hannah. Great to be with you. All right. I'm going to just cut to the chase here. You know, in a nutshell, what is a talent-centric organization, and how does it differ from the traditional hiring and talent management that businesses have been doing for years? Well, that's a big question, and and I'm going to do it as quickly as I can because otherwise we might be here for the next two days. <laughs> okay. At a high level, Hannah, a talent-centric organization is one that first and foremost has its focus on its people. Like, not lip service, but like really. The rubber meets the road. That's where they are. And... It is an organization where the leadership team or the executive committee, whatever you'd like to call them, the C, you know, all the CXOs, they get the understanding and the value of the importance of being aligned, each of them. They're aligned in their vision. They're aligned in their business strategy. They're aligned in their how they're going to get there, their mission to achieve their vision. At that point, then and only then can a company build a talent strategy to support the aligned executive team's vision and strategy. All right. Does that answer your question? I mean, at a high level, that's in its simplicity what it is. All right. Well, that's a high level, and I appreciate that. But let's try and bring it down to earth, because mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people out there listening going, yeah, well, that's what we're doing. And you yeah, said something really interesting about mm-hmm. you know not paying lip service to it. So yeah. where is that slip of the lip that you know causes things to, yeah, they say one thing, but it's really not happening. Help me right. understand the bridge between those two. Yeah. So, for example, CEO may say, oh, yes, talent's our most important thing. I mean, we, we have to get the right talent. That's super important. But when it comes to actually taking action on that, they may, for example, have an HR person with talent reporting to them. And I've said over and over and over again for years, talent has no business reporting to human resources because resource, human resources doesn't actually understand what quality talent acquisition is. So it ends up looking like a cost center instead of the area that drives, ultimately is going to drive all your revenue. When you bring the right people in that are aligned to your business strategy and vision, they're going to drive your revenue and they're going to be happy to do so. Whether it's sales, engineering, customer success, you know, AP, AR, whatever that role might be. So some CEOs will say, no, no, we, you know, we're going to hire internal recruiters and then they end up hiring people that aren't qualified. They don't actually know what it is to be a headhunter. Okay. So what are they missing? 
I mean, HR does a lot of initial screening of resumes and so forth. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. And why not? Because in my research, this is not scientific, but in the research I have done, when I look up whatever that chief human resources person is, it might be a CHRO, it might be a, you know, a VP of people or a chief people officer, whatever that top person is in that role. I have found that 98% have zero experience in talent acquisition. The other 2% who maybe started out that way and then moved into HR, that just doesn't happen. There's a reason they've moved into HR. Talent acquisition done properly is extremely difficult to get right. All right. So why would you put the most important function of your company underneath human resources? Because people don't know what you know, Carol. You know, and and that's and that's exactly why I want you here, you know, right? because, you know, if they want to have because everybody says people are our most important research. Yeah. okay, got that. All right. Blowing sunshine up your skirt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if we're serious about a talent centric organization Mm -hmm. where a a company can achieve the kind of alignment that you talked about, you know, initially Mm -hmm. here. Great. But what is it? about talent acquisition that really requires a laser focus in order to achieve a talent-centric organization? That's a really good question. I think what, in my experience, what happened is in the mid-90s, for those of us who are old enough to remember that, the internet came about. And then all of a sudden, companies thought, oh, look, we can put a job ad online. Instead of getting a one by two inch space in in the paper, we get a whole page to do this. So we can hire people to sift through all the resumes that are going to be flooding into our company. That, in my opinion, destroyed talent acquisition. It minimized it. It made it so that people thought, oh, this isn't, this is easy. We'll just put somebody in. We'll just have them sift through all the fantastic resumes. Well, guess what, Hannah? Who's out there looking for a job? Who's reading the one ads? Well, nobody at that point. Well, no, no. In general, who's reading the one ads? Well, people looking for jobs. Right. So, I mean, is that really who companies should be looking to hire people who need a job? Sometimes. That's not, that's not sometimes maybe, but that's not what headhunting is about. Uh-huh. Headhunting is going out and searching for the best people to fit the role. So where the internet has done wonderful, wonderful things, like give us massive databases, LinkedIn, Zoom Info, they're all over the place. They've also destroyed the business because people have not been trained properly how to do talent acquisition. And I'm generalizing here. Many people have not been trained. Most, in my opinion, have not been trained. And they just, I mean, spamming people on LinkedIn is not headhunting. It's not recruiting. Okay. So what does a talent-centric organization do differently when it comes to recruiting? Right. So the first thing they do, as I said, is get the executive team in alignment. So I will ask each member of the executive team in discovery, and this includes, of course, the founder or, and or CEO, right? Whoever that, that person tends to be. I love the board to get involved in these conversations because it's important to make sure that, that the board and the executive team is aligned. Right. And there's a couple of questions, really important questions that I ask. I ask many, you know, these conversations will go about two hours. But one of the important questions is, what's your vision for the company? Do And I listen for it. Am I hearing the same thing out of each individual's mouth? Not necessarily exactly the same words, but the same message. I will also ask questions like, you know, in your opinion, what do you believe is the most important department or function in the organization that contributes to its success? And it is inside of those two questions that I start to learn, is this teammate even aligned? 
like on a scale of one to 10, where are they? And I will talk to each person about their background, their their professional progression, why did they take this job, so on and so forth. And that gives me, it starts to give me the ability to report back to the CEO, who's typically the person who hires me, to then say, okay, here's what I have found out. From a vision standpoint, you've got six people on your executive committee, including yourself. I got a different answer from four of them of what your vision is. You know, the CFO said he's the most important person department because, you know, he or she is running, managing the money, right? Salesperson thinks they're the most important department because, you know, they're the ones generating revenue. Technology, software, whoever the chief, chief technology officer thinks they're the most important function because without them, salespeople don't have anything to sell and so on. This tells me you're out of alignment, these things. And then we can determine what do we need to do to get you into alignment. And there's always a possibility, Hannah, possibility that somebody on your executive committee may need to be replaced. And I talk about this in advance. That's not my goal. I talk to each individual. My goal is not to remove people. My goal is to align everyone. So, you know, the more open people can be with me, this is not about, you know, this is not about finding what's wrong and getting rid of people. You have to look at it glass half full. So, you know, that could include coaching. It could include teaching people how to communicate effectively. Communication is huge. Many people don't know how to effectively communicate to their subordinates, to their peers, and even to their up above. They don't look at how does the language I use impact someone else. So that's the first piece. And that would include coaching. Once that is up and running and we're moving toward alignment, then we can look at, based on what we're now learning, what kind of a talent strategy do we need to put in place? Does that mean hiring recruiters, training recruiters, teaching them how to write position descriptions, teaching them how to be a headhunter? And, And it's different for every company, depending on where they might be in space at that exact time. Well, that sounds comprehensive. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like a land and expand model. You have to do one step at a time. Sure. Because if I walk in and say, this is what we're going to do, it is incredibly overwhelming. I'm interested, though, in this vision alignment, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I find it hard to believe that if you're talking to you know a senior leadership group, that they're not going to think that my department is the most important because like you said, you know, with, without sales, you don't have revenue, you know, without finance, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have the accounting and, and right. so forth. So they're all going to, you know, bolster their own status in the organization, if nothing else for self-preservation. So could yeah. you give me an, an example of where these different pieces are aligned? What would demonstrate alignment to you? What would demonstrate alignment is this, is, is I had that exactly that example I used was a conversation I had with a CEO, right? If you had talked to my CFO, here's what he'd say. If you talk to my, you know, sales right. technology, and I said, well, what's your answer? And he said to me, well, I think they're equally as important. And I said, bravo. How is it that your, organi- that your leadership team doesn't get that? It means they haven't done the work on it. That's what that means. To educate, inform, and, and to dig in. I mean, if, if the chief sales officer says to me, well, my department's the most important, Carol, I'm going to ask them why they think that is. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's not about me. It, it's all about me asking questions to determine what's underlying how they think, right? I mean, you know, that's what great coaches do. Ask questions, dig into where the blind spots are. Right. What are they not seeing? I mean, exactly. that's where COVID lived. <laughs> for us. I mean, like it was living in a blind spot for everyone. Yep, exactly. And, exactly. and it, it works the same way at the executive, it, it, I mean, throughout organizations. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Well, and that's that's one reason why I did this podcast, you know, right. because it's business issues hiding in plain view that matter to the bottom line. Right. You know, 
either things you knew and forgot because you're mm-hmm. focused on other things or things you didn't know and should know. And it exactly. especially hurts the smaller organizations that don't have as deep a bench or as deep a pocket to afford yes. the mistakes they make. So yeah. that's the purpose behind this. Okay. Right. So yeah. alignment, alignment, absolutely. Because they need to be working in in synchronicity with each other and, mm-hmm. and not trying to one-up each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and, it's, and, and, and one other thing, Hannah, it's not about fixing, you know, yeah, things might not be operating in a well-oiled way, but it's not about looking at from like, you know, you're broken, let's fix you. <laughs> right. You know, I look at, look at it in a way of, you know, how you're operating is not the most effective way to be doing it to achieve what you're looking to achieve. That's a very different way of explaining it then, oh, you're broken. Boy, do you need work. Well, that puts everybody's defenses up, right? Well, of course it does. Yeah. But, but that's about knowing how to effectively communicate. Yes, yes. Now, I, I mean, I could tell you stories about <laughs> managers, and I'm like, I can't even believe they would talk to people that way. Oh, they do. They do. In a past life, I, you know, practiced law in-house, and believe me, mm-hmm. those things always landed on my desk, you know? And you're like, really? You said what? You put what in an email? Like, what were you thinking? Well, that's just the point. They weren't. They weren't being very self-aware. Well, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you get things in alignment. Tell me about the job descriptions, because, you know, you made a very interesting point about how the internet just <laughs> threw the doors wide open. And yeah. you're right. The old classified ads, you had to pay, you know, by the column inch, by the word. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. people were very judicious in what they put in there. And then, you know, the internet, anything goes. And even so, if a headhunter is recruiting and calling people, the person is going to want to know like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. what's in it for me? Why is this an attractive position? Mm-hmm. So you still mm-hmm. need some kind of a description. What is a good way to craft those descriptions that is you know, different from what people were doing before? Well, the way I do it and the way professional headhunters do it is you start out with, let's call it a kickoff meeting with the stakeholders for a particular search, right? And there are, depending on the position, 40 to 50 questions I would ask in advance to the stakeholders in those kickoff meetings. And out of that conversation, you know, there we talk about the company culture and how it's structured. We talk about the actual responsibilities for the particular position. Like what are the skills and abilities that people, somebody needs to have? You know, what are the communication abilities the person needs to have? What's our culture like? You know, all the different areas that will help this individual excel in the position. And out of those conversations, I or you can now build and write a position description. So what people tend to think about in a, quote, job description, if you look at a lot of them online, they're just, it's a litany of bullet points. It doesn't really talk about what it is that candidate would want to know to spark their interest. And part of the problem is, you know, gone are the days. I mean, there are still people who do it this way. I mean, I still did it this way. And most, I'd like to think most retained professionals do it this way, but I know there's some that don't, where you go in and actually spend time with the individual. Hi, you know, here's who I am. And the reason I'm calling is this. I mean, it's kind of sales 101, feature benefit, right? I'm calling because I'd love to spend some time with you, getting to know you a little bit. I'm, you know, I've been retained by such and such a company, or I'm working on a search for so-and-so, and any internal person can say this too. And, you know, I'd love it if you'd be open to having a conversation with me, you know, not assuming anything about your current situation. Don't think, you know, not thinking you're looking to leave your job. And, you know, people are so used to getting calls from headhunters, Hannah, 
and all they want to do is pitch them jobs. Right. You know, they send them out on LinkedIn. They send it through email. Hi, I'm, I mean, I've gotten them from retained professionals. I'm like mortified. <laughs> I thought, who taught you how to do search? You don't know what you're doing. This isn't, hi, I'm with such and such a company. And, you know, I've got a client looking for this. You know, would you be interested? Really? Who's the idiot that retained you? That's what I'd like to know. And, you know, I shouldn't say who's the idiot that retained you because there are a lot of people out there and they just, you know, they give you a line and you don't know any better. So it's a matter of approaching the person. When I did search work, I never presented a candidate till I'd had typically three conversations with that person. Three. And each of them would go easily 45 minutes to an hour. You know, that's what somebody's paying me to do. You know, this is not about sending a resume out and having somebody that doesn't understand it look over a resume and you know, throw it to the job manager. I can't tell you the conversations I've had over the years. Yeah, my HR or internal recruiters just sent, you know, flooding these resumes. They're worthless. Well, some people just don't want to put the work in. And, and you know, there's different levels of professionalism in every industry and, mm-hmm. you know, every niche. So I applaud your doing the work, you know, and shame on the ones who don't <laughs> and figure, oh, I'll just throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Right. Yeah, I mean, that that's what happens. Okay, so I understand that, you know, there should be a rigorous screening process, which is only fair because you're bringing in somebody and Mm -hmm. you don't want to have to fire them the next day. And you want to make sure there's a good fit. Let's say you bring the right person in and, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you keep them there? You know, what is different about a talent centric organization when it comes to employee development or retention? It's a matter of asking the candidate. All right. You know throughout the interview process. When you know when you know enough about I think we're interested, you know, you maybe you've had the first date and you think you want to have a second date, right? Right. So you're starting to get interested in them. And yes, it's still the candidates it's always the candidates responsibility to sell you on why they should be interested in hiring you. However, it's also important in that process for companies to ask, well, tell me what you're looking for in an organization. Are you looking to move up the food chain? What are you looking to do? How long would you like to stay with the company? What's it going to take to keep you here for five years? Companies don't ask those questions. And it's really important that they ask those questions. I've had one person only say to me, why would you ask that? Well, how can you, I mean, this is about communicating with people. You want to get the best fit? We're hiring a chief sales officer. How long do we want that person to stay with us? Like, really? And if we want that person to stay with us for at least five years, we better be looking at that person's background. If they've had a job every year to two, probably we don't want to look at that person. I mean, it's fine if it's happened once or twice. Everybody's entitled to making a mistake. But, you know, why, why do you hire somebody who's had a job every one or two years if you want them to stay with you for at least five? But well, we need to determine that as a company. Each different role would require maybe a different amount of time. How long do we want to keep that person? So that's a piece of it. A piece of it is, you know, tell me what you're looking for, Mr. Candidate or Ms. Candidate. What do we need to do for you, for you to stay here for the next, at least the next five years? Is it leadership development? Is it getting you an executive coach? Is it training your, you know, making sure that your team gets the, the development they need? What does that look like for you? We need to move into, a, into an area where people are communicating well more effectively about these things. Well, and I think sometimes people are afraid. Mm-hmm you know, and they're not willing to put all their cards on the table any more than a company's like, yeah, there's some really boring parts to this position, you know, so they try to, you know, smooth that part over. And the candidates, you know, they're in the same situation. 
if they really want the job, they're going to put their best foot forward Mm -hmm. and try to minimize or dismiss anything they think will detract from that. So, you know, I think that's going to be a hard thing. And I applaud you for taking the time to drill down and try and find as best a fit as possible, you know, given these sort of hesitancies that people are automatically going to bring into the organization. But, you know, it's one thing to talk about recruiting. And it's another thing to talk about, well, you know, we got to get all of this alignment and then we have to recruit according to it. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. tell me about the situation where an organization already has, you know, a reasonable size workforce Mm -hmm. and the senior leadership might be aligned. And even if it's a small company, you know, the the owner, the founder and their immediate senior support, but some of the mid to lower level workers may not be aligned. Right. How do you make that shift happen in talent-centric organization? Right. So, you know, if you've got good workers, you're not, you know, I mean, you don't want to get rid of them and say, ugh, we're not aligned down here. You know, it is important for the, regardless of the size of the organization, for employees to start seeing the CEO and that person taking the first step to say, hey, this is what we're committed to. And, you know, maybe it's a once a month twice a month meeting with the organization, an all-hands meeting. I mean, it depends on the kind of company, the size, what those employees look like, you know, I mean, what they're meaning, what their jobs are, you know, do they feel like they're part of the organization? You know, does somebody in a warehouse at Amazon really feel like they have a say up to the CEO? I don't know. Well, when that, people- that could be why there's more unionization happening. To that, give them a very, seat. That's very possible. <laughs> to right? give them a seat at the table. Exactly. Yeah. So- it's a matter of the CEO recognizing it and then going out and saying, and I've had these conversations, we want to know what you think. Like, really, that's the distinction here. You know, when you say, you know, it's great that, you know, I'm committed to wanting to drill down. Yeah. I mean, are there always going to be people who are going to just sit there and blow sunshine up your skirt? Of course there are. Okay. But if you know how to communicate with your candidates and your employees in a way, I refer to as a culture of feedback in a way that they actually get, like, really, authentically, we want to hear from you. This is not about us sitting in an ivory tower making decisions for you. We want to know how to make things better for you. And when people see that from the CEO, especially, it it will start to trickle down through your organization and through those managers. I, as a CEO, want your opinion. Each of you, I want you to be able to go to your managers and talk about what's working and what's not working for you. And you have my word that you will not get thrown under the bus. Well, that last part is key because, you Mm -hmm. know, there's all kinds of employee satisfaction surveys, employee engagement surveys, and it's like the lip service you talked about earlier. Yeah, Yeah. we want to know what you what. And then the worst part is when, especially in a small group, somebody really tells them and the, Mm -hmm. you know, head of that department or the, you know, head of the company who is it? We yeah. want to know. And then that person starts to get ostracized. So, you know, it, what you're talking about requires a tremendous amount mm-hmm. of trust. Yes. So I applaud those organizations that can strive for it and especially mm-hmm. those that can achieve it because, yeah, all the oars are hitting the water at the same time and going in the same direction. And you can really harness all of that talent which mm-hmm. is what you're paying for anyway, but some of mm-hmm. it is kind of dormant on the shelf. Right. So in the time we have left here, Carol, I mean, I think we could talk about this for a long time, but I know <laughs> yeah, that right. our, our listeners are, you know, need to go out and do other things too. But what do you think is the most important thing 
business owners and leaders need to know about a talent-centric organization? That business leader or owner needs to understand that either they have a problem that might need fixing, you know, or work, or if they think they have an issue, they need to be open to the discovery. I mean, that is the most important thing because the buck stops there. If that business owner or CEO doesn't truly believe that their organization could do better and needs work, then the whole process, you can't do it. I love that phrase, be open to discovery. Yeah. Carol, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and you sharing your experience and helping us learn more about what it takes to become a talent-centric organization, what it is, why it matters, and how to achieve it. So if you're listening and you'd like more information about Carol Schultz, her business, Vertical Elevation, or about her exciting new book, Powered by People. Oh, and by the way, Carol is also host of her own podcast, Authentically Successful. Links to all that information is going to be found in the show notes at businessconfidentialradio.com. So please be sure to tell all your business friends about the show, leave a positive review, because the more you dive into all of the past episodes and follow the show going forward, the more you'll be able to see issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line and use those tips and strategies to grow your company and be more successful. So thanks so much for listening to Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Have a great day and an even better tomorrow.